summer has flown by. We are just over a month away from the fall sports season kicking off here at Northwest Missouri State. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Bearcat Rewind, talking Bearcat football here today. And as we look at it, Northwest Missouri State has been out of this world defensively over the last two decades. Thinking about the previous 17 seasons, Northwest has churned out 17 All-MIAA first-team linebackers. Now, one of those linebackers will go into the M-Club Hall of Fame this fall, and he joins us on today's podcast. Jared Erstbommer is our guest. Erstbommer was a first-team all-conference player in 2007. That same season, he was the MIAA Defensive Player of the Year, an All-American by three different publications, and one of only three defensive players to win the Don Black Award in the last 15 years. Now, Erstbommer did eventually go pro, just not in football. He's part of Hendrick Motorsports, a pit crew member for the number nine team and Chase Elliott. This past weekend, Erstbommer, Elliott, and company finished second in a race at the New Hampshire Motor Speedway. And the weekend prior, they won the Quaker State 400 in Atlanta, and Elliott is currently leading the NASCAR Cup standings. It's been a great season for Erstbommer, and we'll dive into his work as a tire carrier, how he got into it, and also some fun stories from his Bearcat football days. This was a decorated linebacker that went 48-9 in his college football career and played in three national titles and just an all-around good dude. So we're excited to have Jared Erstbommer with us here on the podcast today. A Bearcat Rewind is brought to you by the Northwest Foundation, providing support for the Northwest Alumni Association and the university's funding needs since 1971. You can find more on that on Facebook or online at nwmissouri.edu slash foundation. And also Clorinda Regional Health Center, offering support to Southwest Iowa and Northwest Missouri each day during times of uncertainty through a local team of providers and nurses. More information at clorindahealth.com. Jared Erstbommer with us here on Bearcat Rewind. Jared, appreciate you coming on and chatting with us on the podcast. And probably long overdue, but going to the M Club Hall of Fame seemed like as good a time as any to have you on. Thanks for giving us some time here today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And, of course, as we're looking at it, we're going into the fall here of 2022, and uh, we'll have those M Club Hall of Fame ceremonies coming up here in a few months. But what does that mean to you? What was that like to get the phone call telling you that, hey, um, obviously what you did at Northwest, a heck of a career, but now you're officially being immortalized here within the Hall of Fame? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's first and foremost, freaking God has blessed me beyond my wildest dreams of one being able to just be a competitor like I, I tell people all the time I say I don't for me like I've always struggled with self-confidence so it's it's hard to understand like why I'm so good when I've played with hundreds of guys that I feel like they're but they're almost better than me at a certain point but to get that call I mean that's that's the greatest honor you can possibly get from where you went to college so to me it doesn't get any higher than that and I didn't know this but I was reading the article and there I guess there's only 146 people in it which is kind of mind-boggling when you look how long it's been going and how many people are at the university I mean that is extreme elite company when you do look up and down and see the other names in there and some of the names that haven't made it quite into the hall of fame yet so it's pretty special you mentioned with kind of struggling with some self-confidence and, and you're a guy that continuing on to this day just doing big things and in, in, in professional sports at this point too but do you think that that maybe like not always 
loving up yourself the way we see some athletes do on TV nowadays, maybe that pushed you to work a little bit harder to be able to get to this point, to become a Hall of Famer, an All-American at Northwest Missouri State and beyond. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, I mean, I've played with a number of, number of people that have unbelievable talent but didn't necessarily have the work ethic to go with it. So I guess, yeah, you could definitely could say that because of I do struggle with it, but I also I know I'm not the best athlete in the world, but I know I can outwork anybody. And at the end of the day, out, outworking somebody is going to be talent 98% of the time. Was you're coming up, you're an Omaha guy, you're playing high school football. I feel like I've, I've heard quite a bit about um, your relationship with Scott Bostwick and how meaningful that was and him recruiting you and bring you to Northwest Missouri State. What were those initial meetings like? I mean, did you feel like college football was in your future? Were you thinking some other schools too? How did you become a Bearcat eventually? <laughs> it's kind of funny you say that. Uh, yeah, Scott Scott was like my second father. He uh, He recruited me. I didn't know this, but he started watching me going into my junior year of high school and just watched me throughout my whole entire year, which I had no idea. And then obviously senior year, he started talking to me. And I mean, that man came to every wrestling meet, baseball games, football games, like you name it. He, I look up in the stands, I'm like, who is this crazy guy trying to, <laughs> trying to get me come to a school? But I mean, it worked out in the end, but honestly, I didn't know if I was going to play football baseball or wrestling because i was i was pretty good at all of them and really i was i mean every kid's dream is to go d1 obviously back then it was a little bit different than now i feel like now with the recruiting and everything you can pretty much go anywhere in the country you want but so for me it was really between uno that was in omaha and uh northwest like uno their their big pitch to me was Hey, you can come here as a freshman. You can you can play baseball, football, and wrestling if you want, and then you can choose two sports or one sport. It's up to you when you're going into your uh, true freshman year after your redshirt year. So that was pretty enticing. And plus, obviously, I had a bunch of friends on the team there, so I was I was heartstrung between going to UNO and Northwest, and uh, one of my really good friends is dad's his name's bob lakovic he played at uno He was a really good wide receiver way back in the day uh he was a big influence for me and i was close to going to uno and he we sat down and talked for quite a while because he actually knows bostwick they went to they grew up in the same area same time era they were the same age and stuff and he said uh just go do what you want to do he said you can always come back come back to uno like Go make a name for yourself somewhere else. So that right there kind of kind of set the way. I knew I wasn't going to play uh, wrestling or anything because Northwest obviously doesn't have it, which kind of stunk. But focus on football, and I was I was very close going to UNO, and he switched my mind, and I couldn't I couldn't let Coach Bostwick down either because that man he's probably the only person to re- relentlessly recruit me, and I couldn't do that to him. I couldn't imagine what that's like of going through and 
All right, is coach is interested, wants me to come down to Maryville, but then actually, yeah, every time you look up, regardless of the sport, he's up there. And, and I know that, you know, we'll still have, you know, those signing day shows when we're talking with Coach Wright, and, and any time they can get someone in that is a wrestler, obviously they love it, especially on the defensive side of the football. You're a two-time wrestling state champ there um, coming out of Millard South. Once you get into Northwest Missouri State, did you know, hey, no red shirt. You're going to have a chance to dive right in there, earn some playing time, and, and play amongst guys like Chad Boswick, Troy Tisdall, as you're kind of getting your feet wet within the MIAA. <laughs> no way. Like <laughs> if you if you would have told me that our depth wasn't very good at linebacker. I mean, our starters were absolutely amazing, but behind our depth wasn't very good. Then I mean, they were just building the program up. So to be honest, there's like. I went to practice. I mean, it's pretty easy to read off a card and just go crazy and look good in practice. And that's kind of what I did. And they, they're they like, well, Coach Bosick was like, we don't got much depth, so what do you think about pulling your red shirt? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I talked I talk to multiple people, and they're like, yeah, that'd be, that's something cool because at the time I think I was only the second person in I don't know how many years. But – Looking back on it, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't change anything, but I would have finally got my national championship as a player when I was a grad assistant. But coaching, coaching and getting it was uh, very, very satisfying too. But talking about Troy and Adam and Chad and Harness, I mean, those, those are my mentors. Like even to this day, like when I. I don't I don't get to see him often but I'll message him here and there and I mean those guys they don't know it but it's kind of like being a freshman in high school and getting to play with the seniors or whatever you don't they don't you don't understand how much you look up to somebody until like I mean I don't think you'll ever understand but yeah those guys they they meant the world to me and they kind of laid the groundwork for work ethic and what it really means to be a bearcat well, as you go through, you get some some minutes, and you're kind of behind some big time guys in front of you. But then 2005, it's kind of all right, Jared. There you go, do what you can. First game of the season, you come out nine tackles, three for loss. You have a sack. Northwest Missouri State beats Minnesota State. So you, you kind of came out and just said, "I'm ready to go." Do you remember much of those early goings in 2005 of kind of getting your footing as a starter and really becoming a leader on this defense? Actually, I had no recollection of that at all. So that's, that's that's a pretty good game, I guess. Uh, Not bad. <laughs> 2004 or two, yeah, 2004 actually when I didn't when they pulled my red shirt. To be honest, the only thing I can really remember is my very first game that I got to go out there. I think we were we were playing Fort Hayes, and they were, I mean, terrible and just awful. And I remember getting in there and in high school we didn't we didn't it wasn't passing back then. It was we're running the ball down your throat, go ahead and try to stop us in Omaha. Now obviously everything is changing, it's running gun and passing and all that, but I didn't even know how to drop back into a into a, a pass. Like I had no idea. So I remember the very first series I was in, they were down on the goal line and I had to go out and cover their their number three receiver and uh he runs a slant catches the ball and scores and you want to talk about being absolutely mortified like <laughs> i 
I, after after the game, like I was, I literally, I was like, well, <laughs> I might as well quit because I can't even, I can't even cover receiver on the worst team in the league. But uh, <laughs> that that's really all I can remember. I don't really remember remember much of the the early beginnings. But I mean, I just I just went out. I I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by amazing, amazing, amazing dudes and coaches that. Uh, they say iron sharpens iron. Well, every day you're practicing against one of the best offenses. I mean, we ain't, you ain't going to see an offense as good as what we had, and uh, so that helped a lot. But no, I don't. I don't remember that game. But those are that's a pretty good stat line. It's not too bad. Uh, you know, I think everybody kind of remembers and looks back on Scott Bostwick. And if you spoke to him off the field or after a game, the nicest guy you could meet. But just so tenacious on the field, during the ball game, on the sideline. Do you have any recollection of, of what Scott was like and some of those memories and things that come out? I mean, was he as prickly on the sideline as he appeared? <laughs> <laughs> trying to put I, it in a I nice way say, there. <laughs> uh, that's, that's not the right word to use for it, and I don't think we could u- actually use the word on on air. But, he, uh, yeah, that – He's just he's just the most amazing person. You you'd never meet somebody that can absolutely destroy you, bring you down for doing not what you're supposed to do. Like obviously you're not doing your assignment, he's gonna get after you. But at the same time, the most loving dude you've ever met in your entire life as a coach and a person just in general, but speaking of coaching because I was a player. He would tear you down, but he would build you back up twice as fast. Which, to me, that's that's the epitome of an, an amazing coach. And that's, but that's really that's all they've ever had in my life. I've been fortunate to have coaches, amazing coaches like that. But yeah, he's he's probably the most fiery coach I've ever ever had in my life. And I remember my freshman year when they pulled my red shirt. Uh, him and Long used to get in absolute battles on the sideline. And uh, I was just sitting there one day thinking to myself, like, man, this is like, this is crazy. It's like, it's like a father, like talking to his son at home, getting ready to beat the crap out of him or something. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he was nuts. Yeah. Nuts in a good way. It, it all worked out. Oh, yeah. And, and there's, there's a, a weird balance, I feel like, too. And, and again, I'm seeing it from a whole different angle of being in the stands and in a media perspective, too. But, you know, Coach Bostwick's so fiery and, and gets so animated. And I felt like Coach Churchma typically appeared to stay very even keel, though it was kind of a perfect balance on those sidelines from those two. Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. Like, you can't, like, it's kind of like the business I work in now where I work with five guys. Like, obviously, you have all your main coaches. Like, you can't have. You can't have all the same coaches. It ain't going to work out. Like, Coach Wright was completely different than Coach Bostwick. Uh, Wags was completely different than them. Uh, the offensive coaches, I didn't – I mean, I knew them, obviously, but I never got coached by them. But they were all completely different. But then you had Coach T at the top to where it was just calm as can be. I mean, he would he'd, he'd get after you if you needed to, but that's he's probably the greatest leader to ever live. And – uh yeah, I mean, it's just it was it's a perfect combination of coaches. Well, you think about that group, and you talk about those guys you played with, and and how everybody came together. 
2005, maybe one of the most celebrated Northwest football teams, didn't win that final game, but just an improbable run to be able to get into the national championship. Do you have any recollection? Week 9, a loss to Pittsburgh State, and it's, boy, we are awful borderline if we're going to make it into the playoffs or not, um, and ultimately getting in and making that run. Does that kind of stick with you and what some of those memories were like? Uh, not so much the – and, I mean, I know we were close to getting in, but I kind of felt like I knew if we could get in, we could do something special. Like, it's not like we, – we never really got killed by by any of our losses. They were just – they were bonehead bonehead losses. And uh, if, if we ever lost, we beat ourselves. But the national championship run, I mean – I mean, I don't know how can, like, I got to play in, to me, it would have been five straight national championships. If Lambeau never got hurt my freshman year, we're in the championship. To me, like, that's a no-brainer. Like, we're going four in a row and then fifth as a grad assistant. But fortunate, I was fortunate enough to play in three, and I'll never forget them because what I, I lost all three by, what, three points or whatever. And they were all within the last couple minutes. Like, I'll never forget that. And that, that kind of makes me even work harder today that I still get to compete. But, I mean, you'll th- those are memories you'll never forget. It has to hurt a little bit in a sense. But, again, as you mentioned, we're going to get into it just a little bit more too. But a tire carrier for Hendrick Motorsports. You're out there with Chase Elliott. You guys just won the Quaker State 400 over the weekend. You're still winning. You're still successful. You're still picking up victories to this day in professional sports. But you kind of look at it on the flip side of, I would imagine those national championship losses, despite a terrific career, probably do leave some scars. Oh yeah, I, like I said, I mean, I mean, I, I don't. What I'm doing now is is completely business. I mean, obviously, this is this is how I feed my family. This is what I do for a living. You don't realize that everybody says enjoy. Enjoy high school. Enjoy college. Like the the real world's different. And I could I could imagine that if you're any kind of athlete at a a high enough level to where it's it's more of a I mean it, yeah it's still fun to compete but it's it's a lot of business to where college is supposed to be one of the best times of your life depending on how you live it and. Uh, it's just it's something you won't forget the memories that you make and whether you, they're good memories or bad memories i mean to me you're you're going to enjoy it and and look back on it and it kind of sets you up for life well as we kind of mentioned you're a tire carrier for Hendrick Motorsports. You're working with uh, Chase Elliott. Uh, we're recording this the week after the Quaker State 400. So you just come off of a, a NASCAR Cup Series victory there and still sitting atop the standings there with Chase Elliott. What's this like going through? And, and again, you're a high-level Division II college football player. Now you find yourself at the highest level of racing. I mean, what's the dynamic like of going from a packed Bearcat stadium with, you know, get up to 10,000 people here, and now all of a sudden you're in front of 40, 50, 60, 70,000 fans at these NASCAR races. It's, it's, I mean, it used to be like that. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of down, but died down a little bit just because of the whole TV deal. A lot of people will stay home and watch it on TV because it's a lot, you get more coverage and it's better, but it's definitely, it's different 
like your first, my first probably three years in the sport, like you'd look up and you'd get the jitters or whatever. You get nervous for a stop and because you have, I mean, obviously some places there's a hundred and 120,000 people sitting there watching you. You messed up. You cost somebody a couple million dollars. It's not. Oh, you didn't. You didn't lose a football game. You just. You cost somebody a, oh, a lot of money. And uh, it's it's cool because if it wasn't for Coach Bostwick, I wouldn't even be in the sport. Uh, I got recruited from a guy that talked to him, and uh, he he just told me he said, "You ain't gonna play in the NFL. You're too small and." And you're, you're not fast enough, but I can guarantee you, you can put a tire on a car. I can't be very hard. And so that's that's really how I got into the sport. But going back to your, your question, it's it once you do it long enough, you don't even you don't even pay attention to that. You just try to do your job. You mentioned that Coach Bostwick was the one that kind of connected the dots there and was able to, to get you into this. When he first comes to this and kind of says, hey, got this guy, you should probably talk to him, you can try out, uh, potentially be on the NASCAR pit crew, are you thinking to yourself, are you insane? Are you crazy? Nah, I think I'll go back to Omaha and go into business or something along those lines. I mean, did you really picture this as, yeah, I think my future will be in NASCAR? Oh, not in a million years. I mean, it's just, it was an opportunity. At the time, I was his, I was actually Coach Wright's grad assistant on the D line. And then I was, uh, I think I was, but I was also, I was teaching at Clarinda Academy also. And we raced in Kansas city twice a year in our development. 2011 was about the time that they started heavily recruiting athletes to be in pit crews. And, uh, my developmental coach at Hendrick, he came to our school in the spring and asked Coach Boswick, and I think Coach Boswick kind of just blew it off. He's like, yeah, whatever. I don't know. Whatever. I don't know this guy. And then he came back in the fall, talked to him again. He's like, oh, crap, this guy's this guy's serious. So Boswick told me to get a few guys rounded up. So I think there was about 15 of us. And uh, he came back. We did some drills for him. It's kind of like a mini combine. And then. A few of us got invited out for a two-day tryout. They fly you out to our headquarters in Charlotte and put you through two days. And if they like what they see, then they ask you to join the program. And you start from the bottom and try to work your work your way up onto one of our four cars. At what point did you kind of have a pinch-me moment? Or did you have one of those moments where you're like, I cannot believe I'm actually doing this and you're, you know, whether it's being at like the Daytona 500 or one of these big raceways. I mean, is there one of those moments that kind of pops in your head? No, I mean, I still can't believe it. Like I tell, I tell my wife and I tell like my friends all the time. I'm like, if you would have told me ever that I'd be living in North Carolina in my life, like there's, I just said, you're, you're full of it. Like there's not a, not a chance in no way. But it's it's been a whirlwind, but I would, I would say the big pinch me moment is I got my first, uh, the first car I was on was Jeff Gordon's last year. And that was, that was pretty cool because we made it to the, I think it was the, one of the first years they had the playoffs of the 16 and uh, we made the final four. We were in the championship and 
it was his last race of his career and we were going for a championship. So that was probably, that's probably one of the coolest moments that I've had and kind of like the first big, like, all right, this is, this is pretty, pretty big deal. <laughs> that's awesome. But well, so I'm looking at it now and I've got the Northwest website pulled up and they've got a picture of a young Jared Erspalmer holding the Don Black Award for the homecoming MVP. Now, after watching an interview with uh, yourself and your crew chief there, uh, Alan Gustafson, from a couple years ago, talking about how you're carrying two tires in a pit stop, not just one anymore, I feel like this young Jared Erspalmer would look at the current one and be like, man, this guy, he's in great shape. He's hauling around two 75-pound tires in a in a hurry too within a pit stop i mean that's that's pretty impressive yeah i tell people all the time though like it being athletic and playing college sports helps but to me what we're doing is it's more of a skill like i i work with some people that they aren't really athletic at all and they're some of the best people in the sport but at the same time, obviously, the more athletic you are, the, the better it is. But I also think just being in a sports background, having somebody yell at you or being dealt with adversity and things like that just is so tremendous than somebody just coming straight from high school or college that had, didn't do any athletics and they have a hard time with adversity and somebody like yelling at them and getting in their face and, and failing, I guess you could say when really just if you mess up. All right, cool. On to the next one. There's not, I mean, it's that same thing as football. Like, I mean, obviously you're out there with 11 guys, but if you miss a tackle, like what are you gonna do? Sit there and pout about it? No, like you're in lineup. You're going to do it again. Obviously we only get five to 10 chances to do pit stops and not 85 plays to make a tackle, but it's it's pretty similar as as that goes. Has the nickname Silent Storm really stuck around and, and grabbed hold like you'd hoped it would? <laughs> I, I didn't hope it would at all. Kind of <laughs> it's kind of funny that that happened. Dave Dave Tolfson actually gave me that nickname when they were announcing us in the you got to announce all of our names and. I don't remember which one it was. I think it was the year after the year after he was done, but he got to how they do on Monday night football. Somebody announces all the starters. Well, he got to announce the Bearcat starters and he gave us all nicknames and that was the nickname he gave me. And somehow it got programmed into my phone. So then all my contacts that people that I talked to, my crew chief found out like, he sent me a text or something and I texted him back and it said, update your info or whatever. And there's a picture of like a dinosaur with, and it says silent storm. And he's like, what, what is this all about? And he's like, well, it, it fits you perfect. And he's like, you don't ever talk. So it, <laughs> it works out well. And ever since then, like that's what I've been known as, whether I like it or not. There are much worse nicknames to have than Silent Storm, oh, right? Yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> so if, if you're sitting there talking to Dave, I mean, the hardware to go back and forth, you've won quite a few NASCAR Cup races. Uh, on the other side, he's got the Super Bowl rings. Who wins out there? Dave, for Dave. sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if if you ask Dave all the success I've had in my career, well, the, the, was the first year, 
I'll just say, well, all the success I had in my career was because our D line is so good. I never got touched, but that's that's uh that's the defensive line mentality. That's that's what that's what they'll say. And I'll say, yeah, we had we had some pretty good D lines, but you still you still got to play the game. But now to this day, Dave is still. I mean, I talk to him probably once a week at least to this day still. So he's he's one of my best friends. But he got he got real rings. Like his rings are real. Like we we won the championship and we got one of those one of those fake ones that everybody else gets. Well, you know, hey, your name still goes down with it forever, so that's all that matters, you know? That's right. <laughs> so Whenever you look back at it, you mentioned very early on in the interview a potential about maybe some baseball at Nebraska-Omaha. Somehow, it completely went over my head and I missed it. I didn't realize that you were on the baseball team here at Northwest in 2009, too. Yeah. I mean, so that, that, that's kind of uh, that's pretty funny, actually, because I always really wanted to play. Like, like I, was, I was a pretty decent baseball player in high school, and, and I knew I could be good in college. But I mean, if I knew football would take me the farthest if I ever got fast enough and big enough, which never happened. But uh, I was re- I was good friends with Matt Johnson. He was the assistant coach at the time, and I always used to mess with him. I said, Matt, just just let me come down in the winter. Would be we'd be lifting and they'd be out hitting in the cage off five pitching. I'd say, just let me come out there and let me let me hit off one of these guys and show you what I could do. And him and Lowe just thought I was like full of crap or whatever. And so I had a year of eligibility left and I'm like, man, I'm going to use this thing. I don't care if I, what I, what I play, I want to play something and use it. So I talked him into letting me hit, hit off a couple guys and I hit the ball. And I think he was even surprised that I even hit the ball <laughs> to be for one. Cause I hadn't played in four and a half or five years or whatever it was. So from there, he's like, hell come try out for the team so i tried out for the team and you want to talk about a, a different world those dudes they're they're a different animal like that's probably that's one of the most fun i've ever had just because obviously i hadn't played in four and a half five years but i ended up starting a little over half of the games and at first it was fun nobody knew who i was and we obviously we played the miwa has some really good baseball teams in the country and nobody knew who I, was, who I was, so they were just feeding me fastballs, and I was just crushing doubles and singles and whatever and having fun. And then all of a sudden, the second time we started playing these guys, they started throwing me sliders, and my batting average quickly quickly <laughs> went down because you don't see too many too many good sliders in, in high school. And uh, Coach Lowe's like, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think we're going to sit you for a little bit. And I'm like, yeah. Well, I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, it was a good experiment. Hey, you know, even just to have the hand-eye coordination to get out there and, and the bat speed to come back right away to hit a fastball, I mean, that's pretty impressive. Dealing with the breaking pitches, that's, that gets a little bit harder too. But I didn't know with that big frame, if you got up on the mound, if you'd be bringing some heat. Dude, they wouldn't let me pitch. Uh, Should have given I a chance, tried, right? So, so I, was, I was a pretty good pitcher in high school, and – uh I told Lowe because Lowe, he was he obviously he was an ex pitcher or whatever, and he he kind of dealt with the pitchers. So I'm like Lowe, just let me pitch, and uh, he never would let me pitch. I was so I was so <laughs> mad because I I would have been good, 
and he never gave me the chance. And I think it was, it was one practice or something. I think we were scrimmaging, and I'm like, Coach Lowe, just give me a chance, please. And and he let me go pitch or whatever, and I did good. I mean, ball was put in play, ground balls, struck a few guys out, and he's like, oh crap, maybe I should let you pitch. And I'm like, <laughs> I I've been telling you this, but it was towards the end of the season, and obviously it never came about. But I think I think if I had more than one season, I could have I could have talked him into it. Here we would have gone from talking about a NASCAR career to wrapping up a career with the Yankees. Anyhow. Yeah, no, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've got just one or two more quick ones for you, then I'll let you go. I appreciate you hopping on the podcast with me here. Um, all right, as we look at it in the future, what what does the future hold for Jared Spalmer? Are we thinking uh, future crew chief down the line? What do you think? No chance. When I when I'm done with racing, I'll be I'll be done. Uh, as far as future goes, I don't know, man. I just, I've tried to make my own my own plans and do everything, but God, when they say God has your life figured out for you, I have, I'm slowly slowly figuring that out. That you can't worry about things like it's it'll be taken care of, and uh, hopefully. My contract's up this year, and hopefully I can sign another one and maybe get four more years out of it. I'll be 40 in four years. So that's kind of – that's my personal goal is to at least go till 40. And my, my oldest son, he's five, and my next son's three, and I have a one-year-old daughter. And I was fortunate enough to have a, a mom and dad they didn't miss anything. Like my dad worked for a, a company to where if I was playing baseball or wrestling or football and he had work to do, he could leave work, come watch me play. And if he had work to get finished, he went back to work and finished it. So he never missed, he never, my mom and dad never missed anything. And to me, that's, I want to be the same father for my kids. So when my kids start playing sports, I'm not going to miss it. There, there ain't a, um, Found money in this world that will be able to to get me to not go to my kids' games and all that because I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm 36, and that that's probably my best memory is having my mom and dad at every single thing that I did. So I want to be that same person. I love it. That's perfect. And hey, four more years, wrap up the racing portion of your career. And then we'll get you back in here to the Maryville School District and raise them here and send them on to be Bearcats. It'd be perfect. <laughs> I, w- I would love to say that that would be an amazing plan, but my my wife's family is is a tad bit bigger than mine. She's one of seven, <laughs> and and uh, there's about about to be fourteen grandchildren running around here, and I don't I don't have any. There's, there's no grandchildren back home. All my brother's kids are going into high school, and all the kids out here are all the – from all 14 are from the ages of 0 to 10. So I don't I don't know. Unfortunately, I don't know if I'm going to be going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> right, that makes sense. That makes sense. So um, best athlete in your family, yourself or your wife? Shoot, my wife. She uh, – my wife was a Division One uh, track athlete at UNC Charlotte out here, and uh, phenomenal, phenomenal soccer player. She didn't play in college, but 
she could have easily played. I know, like, when I first met her, I mean, to this day, she still says she can beat me in a race, but I don't, I don't think that's possible. <laughs> but she is, she is unbelievably athletic, and you can, you can see that in my kids because, like, I, I'm not around a lot of kids, so when I do see my friends' kids that are my kids' age, they're like, your kid does what? And, like, <laughs> like my oldest son, he was riding a, a bike without training wheels before he was two years old. Wow. Ride a regular bike. And uh, people are like, that's amazing. And, like, my three-year-old, he's learning even faster because of his, he has a brother. And then my daughter learns even faster because she has two brothers to look at. So they're... Uh, and they, they might have a chance to be future Bearcats, I would say. Oh, I think we'll find a place for them, for sure. You know, football, tennis, basketball, baseball, anything. We'll find a spot for them. Don't worry. Hopefully so, golf. Golf would be all right. Mazingo's beautiful. <laughs> it's perfect out here. So, Jared, right. I appreciate you coming on and talking with us. Congrats on uh, really everything throughout your career that you've accomplished, the family, uh, but also the M-Club Hall of Fame induction coming up later on this fall. And I appreciate you chatting with me here today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to Jared Ersbarmer joining us on today's podcast. Be sure to keep an eye on the NASCAR Cup Series this fall as he has a chance to add some more hardware to the collection. In case you missed it, check out some of our previous podcasts in recent weeks. We have had Diego Bernard from Northwest Men's Basketball, Dr. Clarence Green, the interim president here at Northwest Missouri State, also a former Bearcat football player, Mallory McConkey from Northwest Women's Basketball, and many more, so check those out. Thanks to Alex Kurt, a Northwest Missouri State professor, producing our intro and outro music, and thank you for listening. I'm Matt Tritton. We'll talk to you again next time.